welcome to our KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments on ESG reporting. We thank you for joining today. Welcome back to KPMG's ESG reporting update, the latest in our series. My name is Julie Santoro. I lead our ESG reporting in our Department of Professional Practice. And once again, I'm joined by colleagues Bryce Earhart and Anita Chan. So last time we focused on continuing developments in the EU regulatory reporting landscape and how US companies were approaching that. We touched on interoperability and other developments with the International Sustainability Standards Board. And last time we also introduced everybody to the climate related bills that were going down in California. Really, not surprisingly, a lot has happened since that last episode was released. So today what we're going to do, we're going back to California. We're also going to talk about EU developments and some proposed delays that are happening there. But I do also want to come back to interoperability at the end, our current big buzzword when we think about ESG reporting. But first, before we start all of that, let's just level set on expectations about the SEC's climate rule. There's obviously, everyone can tell by now, no final rule in October. We are now watching to see if we maybe get something by the end of the year. But if I listen to recent remarks by Chair Gensler, he's really emphasizing and doubling down on the fact that this is not the SEC wanting to do something about climate per se. This is all about investor needs. The SEC is focused on the need to bring both consistency and comparability to what is actually already happening in practice. So not making up something brand new, just corralling what is already happening. And Chair Gensler has also been acknowledging concerns about some aspects of the proposal, scope three, the financial statement disclosures. And of course, let's not forget human capital proposal. We're still waiting for that as well. So enough said about the SEC, watch and wait is the, is the stance we're in. So let's move then to California. Anita, going to bring you in here. What's happening with those climate bills since we last talked? Sure, Julie. I'm excited to share that since we last talked, Governor Newsom of California has since signed the two bills into law. Perhaps I'll give the audience a quick summary. First, under the Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act, or what we call SB 253, U.S. companies, both public and private, with over a billion dollars of annual revenue doing business in California, is going to have to report scopes one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions, starting with their fiscal 25 data for reporting in 2026. They will also have a assurance requirement where limited assurance is started and phase into reasonable assurance over time. So now let's move on to the second bill that Governor Newsom signed into law, which is the Climate Related Financial Risk Act, or SB 261. It's going to require U.S. companies also, both public and private, but with a lower total revenue threshold. Uh, then SB 253, which is at 500 million here, doing business in California to prepare a climate-related financial risk report. They'll disclose the entity's climate-related financial risk 
and any measures that they're adopting to reduce those risks. The timing here would be for reporting in 2026 for a biannual reporting, and there's no assurance requirement related to this. So that's just a super quick high-level recap. I'll say that KPMG did recently issue a hot topic publication that provides great details around these laws, as well as a comparison between the SEC's proposal, as well as these California laws. So I would highly encourage our audience to check it out. Okay, Anita, got it at a very high level. But if we drill into that a little bit further, I'm getting a lot of questions about multinationals. So if, say, I'm a a UK or a German multinational, I have subsidiaries in the US, how does this kind of affect me? Yeah, maybe let me take a step back first in terms of how we read the revenue test as written right now. So first, you know, revenue is calculated as total revenue and not simply just the revenue attributable to California. And even though the law itself hasn't specified whether revenue is the amount recorded for financial reporting, many are currently gravitating towards using total revenue as reported in a company's financial statements to evaluate the law's applicability. Now, with that said, circling back to your question, what happens with a multinational, the current informal read is that if, say, using your example, there's a German multinational who has U.S. subsidiaries, then the revenue test is going to be applied at the U.S. subconsolidation subsidiary level. And so if the revenue in the U.S. subsidiary level exceeds that $1 billion, our read is that they would be in scope for these California laws. Okay, thanks. That really helps clarify for me. So the laws have been signed, but I know that that's not the end of it because now we move into a phase where everything has to get operationalized with regulations. Like exactly how is that going to work? Yeah, Julie. So while the bills have signed into law, the next step is actually for the California Air Resources Board or CARB to develop the details for implementation including providing clarity around certain terms, such as how doing business in California is defined, which is another common question that I've been hearing these days. I would also say that um, when signing the bills into law, Governor Newsom did highlight some concerns that he has, including the cost of implementation, as well as indicating whether the implementation timeline is feasible or not. And so these are all implementation considerations that CARB will have to work out as they move on to the next phase, which my understanding is that it'll go for a public due process. Okay, that that's really helpful to know about those concerns. I think about the costs. And that brings me back to one of my like my favorite things we're talking about, which is interoperability. I mean, how is this going to work for companies already having to comply with other frameworks? Yeah, in a sense, I'll say that I'm encouraged to see these California laws being anchored to common frameworks that we already see in the marketplace, as well as being used by other regulators. For example, TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, as well as the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. Now, I would say that companies that have already adopted or been disclosing voluntarily Uh, with TCFD are likely better prepared for the California requirements. But I will highlight that specifically in SB 253, they do explicitly state that to minimize duplication, 
It would allow a reporting entity to submit its emissions information with assurance prepared for compliance with other national or international reporting requirements to satisfy the California law. So I'm certainly encouraged to see this recognition of the global developments in the ESG reporting landscape. Okay, thanks, Anita. And I think it's fair to say we're going to be coming back to California laws more and more as we see exactly what happens next with CARB. Okay, so that's it for the US. Let's now move to Europe. And Bryce going to bring you in here. It seems like the European Commission has been making a lot of headlines recently with different deferrals being proposed. Can you tell us exactly what's been proposed and how companies should be thinking about this? Thanks, Julie. And I didn't really think developments in the EU could come any faster than they are. But continually, as we progress through this podcast series, I'm feeling more and more overwhelmed. But yes, in recent weeks, our listeners may have heard about two proposals to the CSRD uh, that have hit the headlines. So let's talk about those. The first of those proposals would increase the monetary thresholds associated with the definition of large companies and also micro companies. And these definitions are important because they help determine if and when a company is in scope of the CSRD. So effectively, what this means is that some companies that would be considered large under the current scoping requirements would actually be considered small or medium-sized enterprises, also known as SMEs, under the proposed thresholds. And as we know, SMEs, they'll still have to comply with the CSRD, but they'll have to comply with a reduced reporting standard that standard has not yet been adopted. This also means that more companies will be considered micro companies. And again, as we know, micro companies are not necessarily in the scope of the CSRD. Essentially what's happening here is there's an intention to reduce the burden of the CSRD from a volume perspective, how many companies have to comply with that first batch of ESRSs that we've previously talked about. And then there's that second proposal that you may have heard about. The second proposal would defer by two years the CSRD deadline for the European Commission to adopt one to the two things, actually, sector specific standards and also the reduced non-EU standard. So this would effectively defer their adoption deadline from June of 2024 to June of 2026. And I want to say this up front. It's very important to understand that I'm referring to the dates that the European Commission adopts these standards, not the, ref- not the reporting effective dates outlined in the CSRD. So what I mean by that is that reporting will still start as early as 2025 over 2024 data, and reporting will still start in 2029 for non-EU parents that meet the CSRD non-EU parent scoping criteria. So the dates stay the same. Now, when we talk about those more specifically, when we think about what this means for sector-specific standards, essentially, before these standards are released, companies will need to develop their own sector-specific disclosures to comply with the ESRSs. And then from a reduced non-EU standard perspective, again, because this adoption date is being pushed out two years, this is going to, in effect, leave in scope non-EU parents like our like, like many of our U.S. companies. It'll leave them with about 18 months to prepare for their global ES, ESRS reporting. 
Okay, Bryce, thanks for that overview. That that helps clarify for me anyway. So basically what you're saying, because we've got a lot of um, large US companies getting ready in scope of the CSRD, you're basically saying um, some delays in the actual standards, but they should just continue doing what they're doing and getting ready. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. Okay, then a second question for you. Um, we've seen a lot of headlines here about a potential motion to reject all of the ESRSs, basically throw them out. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely, Julie. There, There's definitely been plenty of headlines around this tabled motion in the European Parliament. Uh, but let's put this in the context of the journey that the ESRSs are on. So those European sustainability reporting standards, they were adopted by the European Commission in July of this year, 2023. Since then, they've been undergoing a four month scrutiny period. And during this period, as long as no objections are raised from either the European Parliament or the Council of the EU, the standards will be effective January 1st, 2024. Now, earlier this month, as you alluded to, some members of parliament, the European parliament, they submitted a motion objecting to the ESRSs. However, during a recent parliament session, uh, that motion was rejected. So what does that mean? It essentially means that the ESRSs will remain as adopted by the European Commission. Of course, that is pending any further objections raised during the scrutiny period. But again, Julie, going back to what you just mentioned, the message here is to continue moving forward as originally planned. Okay, I'm going to introduce another acronym here and ask you about EFRAG, which is in effect the standard setting body. How are they reacting to this news and what else should we know about them? Yeah, I mean, not to be outdone in recent developments here, EFRAG has uh, recently shared their forward-looking work plan at their uh, October sustainability reporting board meeting. A lot of content in there. Um, and it also was reflective of that deferral proposal that we just talked about. So um, let me try and highlight some of the big ticket things there. And as a reminder, like Julie said, EFRAG is the body that's drafting the ESRSs. And those ESRSs, those are the reporting standards that companies in scope of the CSRD will have to comply with. Now, our listeners may recall from a previous episode that we talked about how there was pressure on EFRAG to reprioritize their work plan. They wanted to uh, reprioritize it to focus on helping companies through the implementation of that first set of ESRSs. So to respond to that pressure, EFRAG has set up a Q&A process. And what they expect to do is to address questions through a few different uh, avenues. The first avenue is clarifying the ESRSs. Secondly, providing implementation guidance. And in some cases, actually recommending possible amendments to the ESRSs. Uh, what I will say about that last one is that at least at this point, EFRAG does not anticipate proposing any amendments to the ESRSs in 2024 at this time. Uh, but they do anticipate publishing quarterly documents in 2024 that would essentially include responses to questions submitted. And we're, with regards to that implementation guidance that I referred to, uh, you may have actually seen or at least heard about draft guidance regarding uh, materiality and value chain considerations. 
Both of those are actually expected to be issued by the end of this year and then go through a 30-day feedback period. Now, let me turn our attention here to the listed SMEs. So listed SMEs are in scope of the CSRD. I talked about that reduced, reduced uh, reporting standard for them. Now, EFRAG has anticipated that they're going to issue the ED, the exposure draft for these reporting requirements for listed SMEs in January of 2024. And then that'll go through a four month public consultation period. Their end goal here is essentially to issue technical advice to the European Commission by the end of 2024, basically. Now, there's also um, an, a, a voluntary SME standard that they're working on, but I'm not going to go into that right now. Maybe in a future session, we can, we can go through that. Let me turn our attention to two more things before I pass it back to you, Julie. First, those sector-specific standards that I talked about. Um, even with that proposed deferral by two years, EFRI continues to make progress here. So they are making progress. It's just slower than originally anticipated uh, due to that reprioritization that we just talked about. So what we expect here is that in the first half of 2024, we are expecting that EFRAG will expose for public consultation uh, at least two stan sector-specific standards for high-impact sectors. Um, those will likely be oil and gas and then mining, quarrying, and coal. Those are the two sectors. And then lastly, we continue to wait for the draft of the non-EU parent reporting standard. And we're going to have to wait. We're going to continue to wait here uh, because EFRAG does not anticipate exposing that until around the end of 2024 or like quarter one of 2025 at the, at the latest. So Bryce, I have to say, if I'm, a, if I'm a US company listening to this and I'm thinking about compliance with these standards because I'm in scope, my main takeaway here is there's a lot of noise in the system. There is a lot going on. I just need to stay the course and continue doing the work that I'm doing to get ready. Yeah, absolutely. Stay the course. If you're getting overwhelmed by this, like me, you know, reach out, reach out to us. We're happy to start uh, talking through this with you. But yeah, stay the course is the key message here. So really listening to all of this, it brings me back to interoperability. If I'm a US company and I've got to comply with multiple of these frameworks, really I want to do that in the easiest way possible. We are still waiting to see what the International Sustainability Standards Board will issue in the way of interoperability vis-a-vis -vis the ESRSs. And in the meantime, we actually did a webcast um, it was at the start of October. The replay is available. would encourage people to look at that. We looked at ESRSs and ISSB standards at the same time. We looked at materiality in the value chain. We talked about the comparison of GHG emissions, which we talk about a lot. But we also looked at things like health and safety. Uh, for example, something that's not dealt with in the ISSB standards. And we talked about how you might think about that and various other items. And, and you can really see if you go back to that replay that this is quite a complex area and you need to methodically go through if you're in the scenario where you have to comply with multiple frameworks. And I guess this does remind me of some other remarks that Chair Gensler, SEC Chair Gensler, made the other day um, and talking about an SEC climate rule, the final rule. He made the point 
that before the SEC can even start to have discussions with other jurisdictions about what you can do to comply with one and maybe meet the requirements of the other, he called it substituted compliance. The SEC needs a final rule before it can even start those conversations. So for him, the SEC not doing anything is just a complete non-starter um, from, a, from a US perspective. So you've heard it from us today. We've talked about California. We've talked about the freight train that is EU developments and keep coming back to interoperability. I'd like to thank Bryce and Anita for joining me today. That's our update. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth ESG-related financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, type into your browser, visit.kpmg.us forward slash ESG reporting, and be sure to subscribe today.